I think uh, I think it goes it, it can lead to other things. And I know that's a slippery slope argument. And, there, and that's never well, well, like diabetes. It's <laughs> the diabetes. What? <laughs> well, you said other things. I, yeah, I, I, it leads to other things. OK, like, <laughs> sorry. Fair enough. You're listening to Reason Together, the podcast for Christians who think about stuff. I am your host, Daniel Fox, along with my great friend here, Thomas Balzamo, and hey. we're entering into yet another discussion, uh, and we we've, uh, enjoy feedback, and so we just talk about things, and as they <laughs> pertain to, per, pertain, oh brother, pertain to <laughs> Scripture, right, Off to right, a good Tom? start, Let, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, John. that's right. It... Uh, <laughs> But basically, talking about life and not not just uh, not just a systematic theology, but life and those little questions that keep cropping up, and we say, "What about that?" And yeah. uh, we like to discuss those things. But anyway, Tom, yeah. how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Good. Uh, less than a month left of boot camp. Um, I ha- I I have been wondering uh, how. I know you just had a test here uh, a yes. few days ago, uh-huh. and I assume that it went well. I passed. Um, <laughs> which may be different than going well <laughs> yes it did not go well really um I, I i mean i got good feedback from the judges they all said that i had great technique and uh good power and good intensity mm-hmm. but endurance on this test was so different than test one really yes and yet it was virtually the same test um <clears throat> And, and I, I know why it was, I figured out why it was. I looked back at my food journal and I realized that prior to test day, I had had almost no carbohydrates. Mm. Yeah. I had had proteins and, uh, like lean, clean, good fats, but no Mm -hmm. carbohydrates. And that means I had no glycogen stores in my muscle fibers, my muscle tissues, um, which that's what gives you energy when you mm-hmm, do things. Mm-hmm. And then when you start to feel tired, uh, the glycogen is gone. And then you're essentially burning fat at that point. Okay. But I basically started the test with no glycogen, <laughs> <clears throat> which was kind of a big oversight on my part. But that, <laughs> that caused me to really slog through the test. And I remember after the first drill we did, I was already tired and I'm thinking, this is not going to be good if I'm tired already. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah. But I pushed through, made it all the way to the end, had a better go of sparring this time. Last time I had nothing left with sparring. This time I had, I was able to muster a little bit more fight, uh, in sparring this time and. Now, can I ask for the, like for the entirety of the test, what, what, what did you say just a minute ago for the first uh, exercise is that what you said? The, the first, first drill. Drill. How many? Yeah. How many drills are involved in the test? I've lost count. Um, <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Okay. There's there's really there's no water breaks. There's no breaks. Um, mm-hmm. You just go 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 uh, yep. for one thing three to the next, to the three next. and a half four hours. Um, oh my goodness. Yeah. Go go go, and it's all super um, intense stuff. Yeah. You have to be loud. You have to be aggressive. You have to be intense because you're being graded on that. You're being graded on aggressiveness. Yes. <clears throat> it's not just your literal actual move. It's right. the whole persona that goes into it, the whole attitude. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And you're being graded on technique as well. 
There's sure. uh, probably 20 some odd judges that stand around you while you're doing things. No chitting pads, sparring, and they're critiquing everything. <clears throat> everything down to the little most minute half an inch. Um, wow. Yeah. So if we uh, had to if we had to uh compare it to a written test, it would most certainly be an essay test of an analytical <laughs> order. Yeah, perhaps. <laughs> like like the bar. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <the> judicial <laughs> <Maybe>. bar. <laughs> I was excited though because I did beat all of my calisthenics numbers and I beat my runtime from the last great. test. So how are you? Doing great. Um been very busy. Last week uh, I got to actually sort of deadhead on a project project if that's the right right term, you know. For me as a one tracker, sometimes I just wish I had days on end to hit one project. Hmm. Well, we actually sort of had that opportunity last week, and we had arranged weeks in advance to uh, work it out so that for for two, three days, we could just, my wife and I, uh, hit one uh, big project at church, and that was uh, that was neat. Kind of exhausting, and you didn't. We didn't finish it, but we made some significant progress. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then this week, my family's kind of scattered, and I'm home with the boys, and um, uh, for the week, you know. So it. Uh, but doing, doing fine. He did. <laughs> yeah, keep <laughs> plugging ahead. Behind in some areas, I know, and uh, need to catch up. And but, uh, but at least <laughs> I got a good night's sleep last night, so I don't. <laughs> you know, have you ever heard the phrase? This is really good. If, um, if you let's see, how's it go? If the world hates you, you need some. You need to go to bed. And if you hate the world, you need to eat something. What? I've never <laughs> oh heard God. this. Have you ever, never haven't heard that? No. Yeah, it's if you or maybe it's the opposite other way around. If yeah, no, I think it's if you hate the world, you need something to eat. And <laughs> and if the world hates you, you need to go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> kind of that idea that if the world hates you, it's probably because you feel you're tired, that's why you feel that way. Right. And if you hate the world, it's probably because you're hungry. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. Um <clears throat> We had some feedback uh, on one of our recent episodes. Do you want to deal with that? Um, yes. On the public accountability. This was a good one. Um, yeah. And I this one so. got me thinking, and I'm not sure I have an answer yet. Um, but uh, we were talking about public accountability. Uh, in other words, how how much should we make ourselves vulnerable and open to each other in mm-hmm. church? Uh, and the example we gave was the evangelistic outreach that we're doing at church this year, the 52-week challenge. And I'm not asking anyone if if they are participating in it and if they are how they're doing in it. Uh, I'm leaving that between them and the Lord, uh, mm. and it's a free will voluntary participation. And it's not public so that people aren't, you know, shamed into uh, participating and then they end up doing things for the wrong reason. So with public accountability in mind, uh, we got feedback here from Omar, one of our patrons. Uh, He says, I meant to give feedback on your last episode on how much public accountability the pastor should put in church members to read their Bible or evangelize. And those are some of the examples we gave. Uh, I, I think it's a good, difficult question, but I don't know of any pastor who would ask for a show of hands for who all gave their tithe this week. If tithing and evangelizing and having devotions are all acts of worship, why would we ask for a show of hands for who has evangelized that week, but we wouldn't ask for a show of hands for who has tithed? Is there a substantial difference? 
Um, I, I mean, I think the I think the clear, I think the thought is great. I mean, what he's bringing up there to say because basically it's going to the consistency of the argument. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and and let's let's compare things. And so we're talking about acts of worship, and in a sense, <clears throat> to me, even just the obedient Christian life is an act of worship. You know, it's yeah. a submission to God that recognizes His authority. So, you know, to what extent do you do you have a public accountability for every aspect of your life? Right. You know, um, how how many of you aren't sleeping in anymore? You know, how many yeah. of you are eating like you should? How many of you don't drive over speed limit? You know, I mean, but we pick out that area of evangelism. Of course, that's important as being a significant part of uh, of the Great Commission. Um, the I guess the difference he's asking if there's a difference. My thought is the difference between a tithe and evangelism is when I if I were to say to some if I were to pressure because that's kind of what we're talking about here. There is a pressure involved pressure somebody in into tithing um that to me is is kind of i don't know if tedious is the word but it's it's a little risky in the sense that depending on where they are spiritually and where they are financially you have to be careful of that pressure because i can't impose my faith on them and say, well, if I were you, I would tithe, no matter if I owed $50,000 in credit card bill. Well, yeah. okay, you know, you can't impose that on everybody uh, if you even really know what you would do in that situation, and mm-hmm. you don't know what their finances are, and can they suddenly leap from a lifetime of not tithing and all of a sudden saying, you bet, boom, I'm just going to sock it, you know, tend to... Now, we would say, well, it's a matter of simple obedience. We ought to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so... If I just pressured people to tithe in that way, to me, there's some there could be some implications. All of a sudden, now they don't have money for this or this, or they don't pay this bill, and then they lose their car, and then they blame it on the pastor because he said they ought to tithe. Where with evangelism, it doesn't seem like much is at stake there, um, except... I mean, what I mean at stake is like, okay, so if a guy goes out and evangelizes, it's not like, it's not like paying money he doesn't have. Right. You know, but it's I, like, I know we we live in a a free country, but I mean, what if you're dealing with a newer Christian who maybe doesn't know yet some of the the complicated ethics of workplace evangelism, and and they go and they start witnessing to someone on the job, and they end up getting fired because they were doing something other than their work. They were talking to somebody about the Lord, and yeah, and, well, and, and that's a good. I mean, that's a good point, and 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 I would. I mean, I would add too that do I think everybody's ready to just go out and evangelize i mean you know what does that mean to people if yeah. they haven't okay well they've been saved so technically they know how to evangelize by giving their testimony yeah. you know if if they understood enough to be saved they can do that right. but is everybody really uh ready to like take on all facets of evangelism a yeah. public confrontational evangelism yeah well, I was thinking too, you know, to know whether or not somebody tithes, someone's giving their of the tithe and offering is mm-hmm. very much connected to a private aspect of their life as well. Though mm-hmm. tithing is something done in the church, uh, it's a collective exercise, as it were, um, mm-hmm. in the sense that it all together support the needs of the church. Yes. But it is money, and thus it is connected to someone's financial stability, someone's uh, maybe their their income level. It's connected to maybe their work, uh, mm-hmm, their mm-hmm. diligence, and so forth. So, mm-hmm. so the tithe speaks to some private aspects of life in sure. a way, whereas evangelism can be done 
no matter what your income level is. It can be done no matter what your status in this world is. It can be done uh, in throughout the day while you're doing other things. Um, so it doesn't really open up a private aspect of your life to, to, to be asked, hey, have you told anyone the gospel this week? Does that make sense? Yeah. Now, the one thing I would, uh, the one balancing factor I would bring, and I, I do understand what you're saying about the private aspect of a life, and I agree with that on finances. But the question comes to mind, do you think that uh, everybody has the same number of opportunities to evangelize? No. For which they're responsible. Okay. I don't think I agree. So. I agree. Um, I think there are certain factors and circumstances that God has built into the situation that means certain people are responsible for more evangelism, if you will, than others. Doesn't mean mm-hmm. that it's any more effective, right. or doesn't mean that they are accomplishing any more technically than the other guy as far as doing their duty. Yeah. But if if somebody, you know, because of their uh, you know, mobility or because of their stage of life or because of their personality or because of their training or whatever it may be. Okay. Um, if, if they, it, we're kind of even imposing on that, that God has designed 52 opportunities for you this year, at least. And there are incrementally one a week, you know? And if I walk up to you and say, did you evangelize this week? And they say, no. And I, then I say, ah, obviously you need to improve. Well, not necessarily. Um, Right, right. You know what I mean? So uh, that's just a a balance on the the other thing. But as far as the difference in tithing, I I guess there's a a difference. But I understand what he's saying is if we're going to pick out the evangelism, why evangelism and what else can we pick out to make people publicly accountable to? Yeah. Yeah, good. Yeah, it was good good feedback. I appreciate it. Yeah, it was. All right. Uh, What else do we have here? We we have a couple other questions here. Yep. and and I'd kind of like to hit the last one first. You, the, you see the last one on our list there? Would yeah. you mind? That was your question. So. Um, oh, yes, yes. Uh, the question about holding up your hands in church, is that the one you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I As far as I know, we've never talked about this. <laughs> I'm surprised it's taken this long to talk about this. Yeah, right. Um, I, I have seen this done on a few occasions, and... Um, I'm curious to get your thoughts on it because I've seen it in a few different contexts. Okay. I have seen this in independent fundamental Baptist churches, but I have also seen this at new evangelical non-denominational churches as well, where they have like the, the worship teams and all that stuff and the band mm-hmm, playing up there. Mm-hmm. I've seen the holding of up of one's hands in church on both of those occasions, but the way that it's done is very different. Okay. Oh, really? Really? Yes, okay. it's very, very different. <clears throat> okay, so let's start with like the the non-denominational worship team type thing. There's this kind of hands held up, paused kind of posture, usually eyes closed, some sort of swaying back and forth type okay, thing. Okay, so your palms are kind of like palms facing are the kind same of direction, up, yes. like you're like you're holding up your face, except about a foot outside of your face. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. and and they just kind of stay yeah. there. Okay. And that's really the key difference between the other type that I'm going to talk about in a second is that the hands yeah. just kind of stay up. Okay. Right? For as long as they can hold them up. Yeah, and typically it's probably with a little bit of swaying. Yes. And, and what about the eyes? Are the eyes closed? Often closed. Often, okay. often right. closed. All right. Okay. <clears throat> and then you have the, the instances where I have seen this, and I've actually seen this in person at Independent Fundamental Baptist Church one time. The hands are going up, 
but you never see them stay there. It's almost like some odd sort of wave kind of gesture. The hand really? just yeah just shoots up for a second. Usually there's a loud amen accompanied with it. Ah, okay, yes, sometimes I know the, what you mean. Yeah, sometimes their Bible is in hand and they wave the Bible up there and it's usually a loud amen at the same time and the hand goes right back down. It doesn't stay, okay? But in yes, both it's scenarios- like a chop, It's like a chopping motion in the air. Yes, Boom. like a chop. Yes. That's right. Yep, got um, it, okay. In both instances, the hands are being held up in church. <laughs> But yet the style of them is very different. And and I just wanted to open this up for conversation to see where it goes, honestly. Because I'm wondering what what what's what's our issue, what's our hang up, if there is one, with the holding up of hands in church. Yeah, I would have to say that probably and and I'm and I'm 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 kind of guessing at this a little bit, but I'm thinking that probably the main contention against it is association. Because I think it's probably more associated. Now, you mentioned the whole kind of more modern evangelical, uh, I'm thinking like a CCM concert kind of a feel. Where it really stokes the emotions. We close our eyes in an experience of worship. We raise our hands for whatever reason. And it's just kind of, it's all there. But to to me, even prior to that, it might have been a charismatic thing. Um, To me, and again, it goes maybe along with the emotions of something. I'm so moved by something. I'm kind of raising my hand to the Lord and maybe the eyes are closed. And maybe because of the association, like, oh, oh that, well, that's, that's Pentecostal. Oh, that's charismatic. Uh, we don't, we don't do that here. Mm-hmm. You know, that would be my take on it. Okay. Um, now that, that, I mean, that would be my take on why generally it is sort of like <gasps> yeah, <laughs> in, yeah. in, in Baptist churches. But uh, let me, before I give my, my take on what I think of it, what are your what are your thoughts? Well, uh, I mean, I I agree with you on the association thing, though. Mm-hmm. I think if we're going to be fair, there have been other things that we have said that we are okay with, despite them having an association issue. Because we look at the association association, we go, "Well, that's stupid." If you're going to accuse me of doing something wrong just because it's associated with that, you're 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 a nut. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, well, and I don't disagree with you. I mean that that we we should bar it from our <laughs> assemblies because of the association. Right, right. Yeah, I, I, I personally don't like it. I, I think uh, I think it goes, it, it can lead to other things. And I know that's a slippery slope argument. And, there, and that's never, well. well, Like diabetes. Leads <laughs> <laughs> to diabetes? What? <laughs> well, you said other things. I, yeah. I, I, <laughs> it leads to other things. Okay. Like, <laughs> <sorry>. Fair enough. <laughs> um, <laughs> But all I'm saying is, uh, you know, with, for instance, the slippery slope argument, it's not an invalid argument. It's just not a slam dunk argument. Okay. Just because something can fall down the slippery slope doesn't mean it will. Uh, Right. Or that it's it's a necessary following. Yes. Because there are exceptions to the slippery slope. People who have participated in a certain activity and they didn't go down the slide. Okay, Um, Mm -hmm. so it's not a slam dunk argument, but I don't I don't like the idea primarily because I often wonder why is it being done? Mm -hmm. Okay, and 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 I wonder, you know, we talked about the two different styles in which this is done, you know, the chop. Let's just call it the chop, the amen (laughs) chop. Yeah. Uh, Versus the uh, what what would we call the other one? The The um, hold and sway. Yeah. The hold and sway or yeah, sure. Hold and sway. Let's do that. (laughs) The hold and sway. Um, I wonder if the difference 
in the two has to do with the why. Why are you doing it? And I, I, hmm. I know this is subjective, but you have to wonder what's going on in the heart and mind and emotions of the hold and sway person versus the amen chop person. Um, <laughs> it's like, why do you feel it necessary to do that? Yeah. Uh, now, not that I've done really either one, um, <laughs> but again, I'm imposing that, my... That's an image. I'm, I'm yeah, <laughs> limited self. You could almost do like half of each one. I like hold my face on the left hand and chop with the right. <laughs> that way I kind of cover... Yeah, every sentiment involved, but <laughs> you'll get the preacher. You know, excuse me, can can you folks help this man over here? Usher, she's having a seizure. <laughs> that's, that's right. Um, and so my my thought is, when I see somebody, and I guess if I were moved, I, I mean, I just the whole picture of the hold and sway thing is, um, my heart is so stirred, I'm moved by the by the thought of what your holiness means yeah. of what of who you are now whether that whether they're having a, a proper understanding of all that you know is another question but i'm just saying that that that's the feeling is that i'm overwhelmed by the feeling of what i think i'm what i'm thinking about you know yeah the chop is a uh man i'm excited about what you just said yeah. that is so true that's kind of the way i see that so they're both coming from a heart response. One is more of a response to um, the truth of the person of God. The other one mm-hmm. is maybe just a response to, <clears throat> yes, the, the, uh, the factuality of the doctrine, yeah. you know, that that's so important. It's being, it's being said right or it's yeah. being said at all. So, so what if you're leading the singing at your church and let's say you're, you're, you're singing day by day and with each passing moment, right, that song. It's mm-hmm, more of mm-hmm. a slower moving song at times. Right. Um, let's say someone's in the service and all of a sudden you, you look down and you see them and they're doing the hold and sway. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, what's what's our issue? I mean... I Honestly, <laughs> I don't have a... I feel like my issue would be, oh no, it's going to distract people. <clears throat> um, <laughs> That's because, a big issue. <laughs> because typically in the independent fundamental Baptist realm, that's pretty foreign, you know, mm-hmm. just like, uh, just like if you're a Southerner that moves to a Northern church and the preachers preach something and you're like, Amen. And everybody's like, what? we don't, we don't talk out in church, you know, kind of that thing, because yeah. that's a Southern thing. Amen. Everybody hooting and hollering amen or whatever up North, you know, you just kind of keep it quiet. Yeah. And, uh, and in a similar way, you know, somebody starts, you know, hold, hold a hold and sway and people are going to be like, they'll, they'll be singing, they'll be respectful. They may not look and stare, but they're like, oh boy, you know, yeah. who's it, where's this guy from? Yeah. You know, now ultimately when I really get down to it, if somebody were to ask me, hey, pastor, is it okay if I do this? Um, I would be like, um, it's fine by me, but out of curiosity, why? You yeah. Know, why are you doing it? Just like you said, I, I am very curious as to the why but do I see an inherent problem with it? Um, no, I mean, not major. I just sort of think that maybe it's a un- unique and maybe not the best expression of, of the emotions. Um, but I mean, yeah. I'd rather you kind of vocally, yeah. you know, you just try to express the text of the song better. You know, sing out more. But I've had people probably, 
I mean, I've, I've seen people and, and I appreciate it when I'm, when I'm leading music, not the lifting of the hands, although I probably have seen that, but, um, but getting into the singing, if you will, you can tell this person is engaged. Their heart is meaning yeah. to praise the Lord. They, they might even be closing their eyes. They're definitely like opening their mouth and singing out. And so, so is that much different than somebody feeling enough overwhelmed that they hold up their hand? Now I've actually seen kind of a combination of the two. Not the joke earlier where I hold one hand and chop the other. But I mean, instead of the hold and sway where it's turned towards my face, it's the palm facing you. Um, where they just hold, it's almost yeah. like um, like present, like I'm taking the oath. Uh, uh, I hold yeah. up my hand just like that. I've seen that. And personally, that's, if I had to pick one, that would be my favorite. Okay, Because it's just some, why? because the one with the palms, the palms in and the sway, that's kind of like, uh, for me, okay, like maybe this guy is letting his emotions control him too much uh, with with what he's hearing here. Like he, the emotions are taking too too much. I, I don't and know. The, I I don't really I don't really care about the chop. But I'm just saying the holding up of the hand is just kind of a man. This is moving to me, um, and and it's just kind of evidenced by an upraised hand. I mean that yeah. doesn't bother me honestly. Yeah, I, I feel I feel weird that we're talking about the difference between holding one's hands <laughs> inward versus holding yeah. them outward. And that's I, I mean, I realize that's all subjective, but it's like I mean, they're mm-hmm. either holding their hands up or they're not. Uh, I mean, I'm certainly not arguing for it, but I mean, for instance, if you think about uh, Psalm 63 uh, and verse two, to see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Because uh-huh. thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. Psalm 134 and verse 2, uh, again talking about the sanctuary, he says, Behold, bless ye the Lord, all ye servants of the Lord, which by night stand in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. But I realize we're talking about cultural differences here. Is that all this is? Is this is this the only thing here? And that is that this is a cultural difference, and we just feel that it's weird. Um, largely, I would say that that's the foundation of it. Is that, I mean, if I remember correctly, Solomon Solomon, you know, at the dedication of the temple, raised his hands. Um, mm-hmm. uh, although maybe he also prostrated himself, which is yeah. But anyway, first um, First Kings eight twenty two, and Solomon and so stood you, before the altar of the Lord. Uh, it says it spread forth his hands toward heaven. Good, good. And so, to me, as, as an act of saying, you know, whatever, we, the way I would picture it in modern terminology is put your hands up, you know, that mm-hmm. I'm, uh, you know, okay, my hands are up, I'm submitting to the law enforcement. Well, in this way, I'm, 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 I'm recognizing my submission to God and, you know, my smallness compared to him. And so I say, hey, great, that's great, you know, as far as in that culture. Now, so if somebody really wants to bring it into our culture— um, I, I really can't disagree with that. I, a couple parameters I just put on it is number one, thinking about other people, because you don't want to be a distraction yeah. in the preaching service that if my actions, uh, you know, let's say some, some tribe somewhere, um, whenever they, you know, whenever they like something, they, they grunt and make weird noises. <laughs> okay. So they're saved and they come to America and they start grunting and making weird noises. Well, people are gonna be like, what? I mean, you're going to be distracting from some from preaching, yeah. you know. So if somebody says, "Well, man, that's I just by lifting up my hands, I'm saying, God, you are so big, and I'm so small." Well, that's great. Mm-hmm. But if on the other hand, I'm distracting people, I just do need to be conscious yeah. of that. Um, and it's kind of like Paul saying, uh, 
in again in that time frame, yeah. tongues was an issue and things like that. But he's saying if if um, oh, what was I thinking of? You know, in some ways though, the the, the main reason is the edification of believers. That's yeah. that's our purpose for meeting is edification. And if what I'm doing is causing people not to be edified, yeah, then well, the other issue that. that that I would see with it is if if no one is doing such things then it's mm-hmm. hard to know who's really engaged in the singing in the preaching in the praying mm. it's hard to know whose heart is really there but the holding up of the hands thing can quickly become a way for people to signal look at how good i worship yeah but i personally again that's any external thing basically right. and, in, but internals think, create externals but then externals can create become false right but i think that's kind of the difference in what we're seeing is that right now as independent baptists we're very much not external oftentimes in how we worship apart from saying an occasional amen uh mm-hmm. and in some churches the chop okay but mm-hmm. even then, you know, as soon as you make something like that very external, it can quickly become a guy who says, I want the preacher to think that I'm his favorite, cause so I'm just going to amen chop at everything he says. Uh, you know, and, and, and same thing with the, the hold and right. sway. It can become, look at me, I'm really engaged, I'm really feeling this here, I'm really worshiping. Uh, it can almost put a, an external tool into the hands of people to be used wrongly if it's part of our culture. Right, right. Um, but I, I don't think that's the fault of the tool. I just think that's no. the fault of the sin nature. Um, no, I'm not saying that's I, the fault I, of the tool. I'm just saying that may be why it commonly isn't done in the types of churches be, that we're used to. Because we feel like so many times it's fake. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay, okay. Well, and that, that may be fair. Yeah. Um, the other thing I would say is just as far as when going to the why, why are you doing this, is... Uh, are the emotions in check? Because I think emotions are a good thing. I think we ought to be emotional people to a point. And yet, obviously, there has to be a balance, and the emotions have to be under the control of truth. And so if that in any way expresses that, you know, I'm I'm becoming so emotional over this truth, well, are we becoming, you know, does that emotion over that truth somehow cloud the rest of what I'm hearing when I say, oh, God, I'm so small, and you're so big, and you're so holy— does my life evidence an actual change from being overwhelmed by that truth? Mm-hmm. Or is it just the perception of, oh, bigness, bigness, smallness, big C? Am I even really getting it? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, is this just an emotional response? <laughs> right. Uh, and you wonder, because I know that music is a very powerful medium, and it can it can dive to the to the depths of your feeling, and it can change those mm-hmm. feelings very quickly. Yeah. So when you get the right chordal structure, and you get the right ambiance and the right lighting, and then you get you know a thousand teenagers together, and you start strumming these right chords, and you tell the right story, and you have the right feel, well. I I think in 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 part that's designed to affect the emotions and sure. so is this just an emotion a mass emotional <clears throat> peer response that oh we just feel it we do it but what are we actually feeling and doing yeah um you know so I have to I have to ask that too yeah. is saying what not part to, is uh, emotions playing in this not to play devil's advocate but mm-hmm. um isn't really knowing what emotions they're experiencing right then isn't that subjective and really impossible to know because what if i mean there's nothing wrong with emotions per se 
mm-hmm. um, as long as they don't take over <laughs> and take control of things. Right. But what if someone is feeling emotions about right things right then? Let's say they are mm-hmm. actually stirred and moved by right things. Um, doesn't that kind of put a monkey wrench in our our argument about the show of emotion in church? Well, if somebody is going to rule it out, yeah. I mean, so, so again, I mean, yes, is it, if I say, well, you can't raise your hands in church, does that mean you you, you can't shed a tear in church? Yeah. You know, you can't sing out louder in church? You yeah. can't say an amen in church? I mean, I mean, what? I mean, if that's somebody's way of expressing, wow, I'm really touched by it. What if, what if somebody was sitting there and you preached something and a guy said, wow, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I would be like, great, something just clicked. You know, he's going, oh my yeah. goodness, I've never seen that. Well, what's the difference between that and raising his hand? Right, yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, because I, I, I guess uh, this is a good example of the nuance that we often get into in this podcast. Because I, I literally had to laugh out loud a second ago. You might have heard me while you were talking. Because I had yes. this bizarre <laughs> moment where I was like, what are we talking about? <laughs> we're talking about people lifting up their hands in church. As ridiculous as that feels... There's actually things to talk about with that. <laughs> and we've yes, kind of on that, uncovered a few of them. Um, <clears throat> and that, yeah, it's uncovering this this legitimate uh, discomfort that people feel. Yeah. And yet we go, that's kind of trivial, you know, when we actually get into it. Yeah. But it's actually a real life scenario that people deal with. And I wonder, I wonder who of our listeners has never thought of that. They probably all thought of it at some point. People raising their hand in church, or they, they they have some feeling about it. Well, where did that come from? Is that feeling rooted in an appropriate view of scripture and human behavior? Yeah. So is <laughs> it safe fun. then, if we were to try and draw a conclusion on this, <laughs> would it be safe to say, while we can't really rule it out as a bad thing, uh, it's often used in in a, uh, a less than appropriate way and could be a distraction. So I wouldn't necessarily say it's open season on holding your hands in church, but we can't really say that it's wrong. Is that is that what we're is that what we're saying? Yeah, I mean, pretty much. I would say it's not a teaching of the church that you have to do it, but it's not a teaching of the church that you can't do it either. And there's appropriate ways to do it and appropriate reasons. Um, and can it be misused yeah. and um, and misapplied? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So go ahead and ask. This one is from Jason, another one of our patrons. Uh, He says, uh, hello again, Thomas and Daniel. I thought of another question I wanted to ask. I am a reporter for my local newspaper and was talking to a nursing home director about memory care. She introduced to me the concept of therapeutic fibbing, in which one tells a fib to avoid increased anxiety and agitation in a person with Alzheimer's or dementia. Example, a grandfather passed away years ago, and the grandmother is wondering when he's going to get home. Instead of reminding her that her husband died, one would say, he's still out in the field, he'll be back later. I know you had an episode on lying a while ago, but I believe most of that discussion coalesced around wartime situations and telling jokes. What are your thoughts on this example? Thanks, guys. I'm enjoying the show. All right. You want to take a stab at that one? Sure. Um... The verse that came to mind as I was thinking over that question was, speak every man truth with his neighbor. Um, and so we, the, the question is about, can we tell a fib, meaning, which is, which is like a soft, <laughs> a soft term for a lie, 
but it makes it sound nicer. It not, it's not as, uh, I guess, bad of a sin if it's only a fib um, than if it's a lie. But basically, the premise <laughs> here is that lying is, um, will help the person being deceived. Now, we've talked before about deceiving someone maybe to their hurt or um, something like that. We say, well, it would de- you know, to deceive someone, to tell them an untruth and lead them down this trail for <laughs> our benefit yeah. uh, would be bad or whatever. But the premise here is actually kind of opposite, which is unique. It's that lying will help the person being deceived. That uh, I, I, need, I need to lie to them in order to relieve their anxiety, you know. Mm-hmm. But the question then that follows is, where do I draw the line? Um, do I lie to my four-year-old yeah. when she has to get an injection telling her it won't hurt? Uh, do I lie to an adopted child? about whether he's adopted or, or what his parents were like. Do I lie to a grieving family member whose deceased relative was obviously unsaved? You know, say, well, look, he's already dead and gone, but if I just tell them, you know, he was a good man and he's in a better place, well, that's a lie. Um, and, but, but it would comfort them to, know, you know, to think that he was in heaven. And so I'll just tell the fib and it, w- it would help them. Do I lie to my children about certain people's character? I really think that in this nursing home scenario, there's a there's a better uh, a better way, and uh, than just just telling an outright lie. You know, he's still in the field. Well, he's not still in the field. But are there not to me a dozen different things that you could say, or questions that you could ask, which would divert the mind of the person off of the question, or um, you know, or to, to just phrase it another way. Mm-hmm. I think what's important in the discussion is to realize there's a difference between using a falsehood to deceive and withholding information to limit understanding. Mm-hmm. Withholding information isn't necessarily a deception. Um, it doesn't um, like lead the person into error necessarily, but withholding information can kind of just keep somebody in the dark. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I think telling the truth doesn't have to mean telling every detail at any moment or every moment. Um, but it does mean not telling something that's factually false, Mm -hmm. you know, telling the truth. But if my kids ask me a question, I don't give them the whole boatload. I don't give them everything I know about it. And, and so, so say you have a relative who's made poor choices in life. Um, you don't say, do you know that so-and-so did this and this and this and that this is this how he lives and this is the choices that he makes and this is what his person character is like? No, you're probably just not going to talk about it with your kids when they're young. They don't really need yeah. to know. As they get older, they might go, hey, does he such and such? Um, yeah. yeah, actually he does. And then as they get older and they can handle more information and they need to know, then maybe you'll let them know. And in the case of the nursing home patient, um, I think there's you know other things that can be said to alleviate the immediate... Sure. Uh, concern and which obviously for an Alzheimer's patient is a very temporary concern. So you're going to have to tell a hundred fibs a day, you yeah. know, and, and this concern, this anxiety that they feel may not last more than about 30 seconds. Um, but I still think there's another way to divert it yeah. and just say, you know, Oh, he's, he was always a busy guy. Wasn't he? Yeah. 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 Whatever. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, yeah. I, I do see what you're saying. You're saying the main danger in, in doing that is that, you start to see fibbing, to use the word in question, as very pragmatic, as the end justifies the means. And, oh, yeah, and absolutely. you would start introducing that into other areas of life. Um, Good. Yeah, I, yeah I, I think I agree with you. I, I still think, though, you're going to end up with anxiety in the person 
uh, in, in the illustration anyway. Because if, if you're not answering their question, they, they, they probably know you're not answering their question. They can figure that out. There's no satisfaction. There's no closure to the question that they asked. Uh, so even if you found a different way to answer it that wasn't lying or deceptive, they're still going to want to know, you know, where's my husband? Where's my husband? Uh, and they'll either live with the anxiety of hearing that he passed away, you know, a hundred times a day, or they'll live with the anxiety of never getting an answer to their question. Uh, either way, mm -hmm. they're going to have the anxiety. Um, Good point. So I, I don't know. That's uh, I mean, I'm not going to go as far as to say, yeah, lie to them, but uh, I just don't know that there's a good resolution. Yeah. Well, but I mean, you're right. Because I mean, I'm saying you, we're saying, well, there's anxiety. And so we have to relieve the anxiety. The priority there is that it's not it's not about telling the truth. You know, it's about relieving anxiety. That becomes the priority. So what can we do? Anything? What What can we do to relieve, relieve the anxiety? And to me, we have to say as Christians, well, and I know this sounds it sounds ridiculous i think given the scenario oh come on the guy's got alzheimer's he's not going to know you lied it doesn't hurt him blah 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 but then i think stop and listen to what you're saying you know oh nobody's hurt by it so it's okay mm -hmm. we have to relieve the anxiety so it's okay you know it's not it's not as bad as the anxiety really <laughs> i mean to me i just think we we've really put a human context in, in on that and uh, yeah. and I been that, but that's a good a good scenario to draw the question yeah. out. But then you say, well, you, you take that same rationale. Oh, it's not going to hurt the kid. Mm. Oh, it's not going to hurt anybody. Oh, well, we have to do this even if we have to lie. Well, yeah, mm, yeah, interesting. And I hear you. All right, I think that's uh, all that we have time for uh, on this episode. Strange episode. This feels weird. Did this feel weird? <laughs> this felt weird. It did feel a little strange. We talked yeah, about some strange things today. <laughs> um, so if you if you have the you know impulse this week to like raise your hands and sway and tell a fib, just you know, <laughs> <laughs> don't tell them you heard it on Reason Together podcast because <laughs> you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's right. Hey, you know, I don't. I think we overlooked this episode, but as we close, I just want to say thank you to our patrons. Ah over at patreon.com slash reason together uh, for your support of this podcast and all those who are listening and you say, uh, goodness, we're on episode what, 83 now, and there's been a lot of material covered, and you see that we're dealing with practical things. If you enjoy what you hear and you're helped by it and you say, I've got friends that think like I do, and, and, and they, would, they would enjoy listening to a podcast like this, talk about it. Uh, share the word. Yeah. Uh, we'd love to get the word out and continue to... Uh, uh, to see it spread, mm -hmm. see pe people helped, and uh, that would be great. Yeah. Thank you, patrons. Thank you, listeners. Yes, we appreciate it very much. Anyway, that's all for this one. Uh, we are encouraging balance, developing perspective, and connecting faith to practice. This is Reason Together. <laughs>